Hello, everybody. Welcome along to another of these Total Italian Football Podcasts. Here to talk through what was an exciting match day 10 of this Serie A season. I'm your host, Connor Clancy, and I've got a full house of friends here with me. Ewan Burns, you're up first, my fellow countryman now. How are you? Are you sure you want to lead like that? No, I regretted it as it was coming out. (laughs) Congratulations. Just, Just a couple of Irish boys. On a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> both in our twenties. Um, <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah, yeah we you? need to get that in actually for the next month. Um, <laughs> welcome back to Europe. Yes, I'm a European man again, and it, it feels very nice. Although I spent most of the day being really upset at my English football team, so I didn't feel very European. Well, you, you fit right in in Dublin, then, to be honest with you. But less <laughs> of that. We've also got Vito Doria here on the podcast with us. Hello, Vito. How are you? I'm all right. Um, our next uh, panelist, um, he'll probably think I'm in jail at the moment because of the jump I'm wearing at the moment, though. <laughs> very, very polite to refer to Kev Pogzalski as a panelist mm-hmm. in any context. Kev, I like to refer to you as our, our resident nuisance or resident granddad. How are you? I'm good, yeah. Um, uh, try not to be a nuisance, I suppose. I feel like I need to now push with my Polish citizenship. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. There you go. Look at all you boys desperately trying to be EU citizens. Well, their election went the right way for you to do that. Wow. Sounds like it could have gone very much the other way. Yeah, we're a nicer (laughs) place to live, but um, yeah. Anyway, guys, we had a really, really good match week of Serie A, so I think we need to up it a little bit. Uh, Get the tempo lifted, because Kev, I'm not going to lie. You don't sound like you were. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. Um, we've just seen some really good football. Are you not excited? Oh, well, yeah, it was a perfect end to the weekend because the um, the Napoli Milan game was great. Um, yeah. Particularly in as kind of uh, after what went before it, which you know Roma um, Inter was a little a little tepid in comparison. Well, actually, very tepid in comparison to Napoli Milan. Yeah, we will get there, unfortunately, but let's go through all of the match day's action, shall we? Salernitana suffered a Friday night fright and fell to a loss away at Genoa as the action got going before Sassuolo overcame an early spook to draw with Bologna. You're picking up a theme here, and I'm going with it for every single match. Alessandro Buongiorno made sure that Torino didn't suffer a dark night in Salento as they took the points back to Piemonte before Juventus finally broke Var's curse to survive a scare and win at home to Hellas Verona on Sunday. Cagliari came back from the dead of 3-0 down to beat Frosinone 4-3. Lorenzo Zucca, sorry, Luca, leveled for Udinese in their draw against Monza. And the ghost of Romelu Lukaku was unable to haunt Inter on his return to the Stadio Giuseppe Miazza. To end a super Sunday evening, Jack-O-Lantern, Raspadori and Napoli exercised their first half demons to come back and hold the devil of Milan to a draw. We will have to wait until Monday to see if Empoli, Atalanta and Lazio Fiorentina give us a trick or a treat to see us into Halloween. Can you tell that I love this time of year, Kev? Uh, can you can you tell this is the most <laughs> uh, most preparation you've ever done for an intro of the games? Uh, well, yes, it's the only preparation I've ever done for the intro of the games. I'm very excited it's Halloween. I'm also very scared because I keep watching films and anything that happens now, I think I'm going to die as you witnessed just before we started press. We started to record this podcast, but my excitement is justified this weekend because what a match day that was. And 
it looked throughout all of Sunday that we were going to start in a rather unconventional place of Cagliari Frosinone, but then, sorry, any Cagliari fans, but we're going to start in, in Naples because Napoli-Milan was just as good, if not as dramatic a twist, because Milan went into an early lead. It was 2-0. Napoli looked, I mean, they did look dead and buried. They looked rubbish in the first half, but they came roaring back in the second, Ewan. And if ever there was a game of two halves and it wasn't the earlier one today, it was definitely this one. And it was a brilliant way to to round out Sunday's action. Yeah, it was. I feel like we often get, you occasionally get one of these weekends where you get two really big games and you you basically never get both of them being really good. So when the first one is bad, mm. you, you get a bit nervous. You're like, is this going to actually be, end up being a rubbish <laughs> evening of football? I look forward to it for ages. Um, and so this very much saved the first one. Um, I mean, Napoli could have won it at the end. They they were really, really pushing. Valoscali had that that chance right at the very end, which he, you know, he, he didn't do badly with, but it, it's certainly one that he'll think he should have done better with. Um, so yeah, it was a very good game and a very... It keeps things nice and, yeah, we, we've got quite a defined four teams up there now, it feels like. Um, and it kind of keeps it all fairly tight together. It's quite nice. I'm I'm insisting that we still have three defined teams up there and the fourth will not be so set up there as the season goes on. But anyway, I think Kvaracelia did really well to get that chance. But then I do think if he has that chance at any other point in the game, I, I think he does better with it. But he was probably exhausted in the 94th, 95th minute, whatever it was. And he just ended up hitting it straight at Manyan. But Vito, we'll start with the first half here. And Milan showed exactly why a lot of us backed them to win the title for the opening 45 minutes. Giroud ended his drought. He hadn't scored. I don't know if this was in all competitions or just in Serie A since, well, they've not scored in the Champions League, have they? So it must be in all competitions since the first day of the season. He got two goals and was on a hat-trick quite early on. And Milan just looked irresistible for the first 45 minutes. That was certainly a class above in that first half. And Giroud in particular was really making the difference. If it wasn't for that lunge that Rachmani did in the first two minutes... Uh, Giroud probably would have scored there as well. Overall, he was uh, a big threat and yeah, just Napoli really had no answers for him. Another thing I did notice was that both of his goals came from the right flank and prior to this game, there was some criticism that Milan were too reliant on overloads on the left flank or just relying on Teo Hernandez and Rafa Leal to create place so I think when you got Pulisic and uh, Calabria supplying Giroud from the right I think based on that they were really looking good and uh, until the break you would have thought that you know it just was a matter of time that they would switch to the left and Milan would run with this it was funny wasn't it because I was gonna come on here and talk about that whole thing how Milan looked more balanced in attack but now Kev, there's an obvious collapse that we need to talk about because as bad as Napoli were in the first half, Milan were for a large part of the second. Yeah, I think some of that can be um, attributed to Napoli being at home, you know, and you you have the break. So I think if Milan's two goals had come early in the second half, I think it probably might have been a bit more difficult to recover. But, you know, you you, you have that sort of break. It's the old cliche, isn't it, about 2-0 being the 
the most um oh god now i can't remember the dangerous yeah dangerous scoreline score uh going into the break and uh yeah you know, I, I thought, I don't know if I'm being overly critical, that Manyang could have done a little bit better with a free kick. But I think it was maybe just the, oh, the, 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 the brilliance no. of the free kick made his dive just look a little awful. It was like he okay. couldn't do anything with it. It was, it was just the way he dived. There was just an, an air of uh, acceptance about, I'm just sort of kind of diving because I have to be seen to be diving. It sort of, he almost fell flat on his belly as opposed to, you know, like a, where he, he started to mm. uh, fall along his side. Um but, you know, Politano's goal got him started, really. I think the quality of that probably also sort of pushed the team on. Yeah. I think Politano needed that as well because he missed a big, big chance at 1-0, which would have obviously leveled things up. And then that goal, I mean, he took out all of his anger on that finish, you and he smashed it in. But Raspatori's free kick, like, it was pretty special, wasn't it? He kicked that so hard, like, like... He's not the sort of player that you associate with extremely powerful shots. He's, you know, he's quite. I said too much. I don't know exactly what I associate him with. He's a bit of a weird player, but it's not that. <laughs> you don't like not necessarily free kicks, and particularly not one that is taken like that. And I think they they probably looked a bit weird from the keeper's perspective because obviously he he went round the wall rather yeah. than over the wall. It, it wasn't a conventional free kick. Um, and it, it, it must have wrong-footed Manuel. He would have instinctively slightly stepped the other way. Um, it's very clever. One of the things that was quite interesting and exciting about that second half was the Giroud-Leal thing when they got taken off because they looked really, really, really angry. Um, and that's not the sort of thing that... like Pioli feels like one of those coaches where it only takes one bad game for there to be murmurings about his job security and stuff just because just because a lot of people have basically never trusted him despite how long he's been there um but i've never really i can't i can't recall seeing that sort of thing happen at Milan in in the recent past of players being visibly really angry and, and looking like there's a problem um i imagine it won't end up being a big deal but it was quite interesting and imagine if grazia had scored at the end mm. then it might have gotten a bit more ugly it was funny wasn't it because the camera panned in on Giroud, who was getting annoyed when it looked like Liao was coming off. And at this point, I hadn't realised there were two changes being made. And I was thinking, oh, that's funny. You don't often see a player actively being annoyed that their teammate's coming off. And then it showed Liao walking off. And Liao was doing that thing. You know where you're so annoyed that you kind of smile a little bit? Liao was doing that. And I was thinking, oh, I know he smiles a lot, but that's that's not a good look that these two guys are both coming off and they're both clearly annoyed to be coming off. And I think there's an argument to be made as well, Kev, that Liao, although he wasn't great defensively in the second half, he was their biggest threat going forward still. So I did think the decision to take him off was an odd one. Yeah, that almost is a defensive sort of tactic in itself that you've got that threat uh, going forward because, you know, Napoli are then able to commit a few men for, um, more men forward because they're not worrying about Liao getting in behind. Um, mm. I saw Pioli getting some criticism over the Romero Pulisic change but that feels like because I've not seen anything about it afterwards that feels like it must have been an injury for him to make that change at half time um, because obviously he was he was doing pretty well up until that point but the Liao one's an odd one because you just you're taking off something that's and, and a bit like where teams double up on Kravitz Elia they double off on Liao so you you know you, you do take quite a lot of the opposition players out of the game by having that threat on the pitch still. 
Yeah, and he is arguably the most talented player Milan have, even when he's not quite at his best. I think I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that. Um, even with Pulisic and all of that there now as well, I think we've got to move on though, don't we? Because there was there was a there was a better game than this this weekend, and it came in Sardinia where we don't often go to, but Cagliari are off the mark. They got their first win of the season under Claudio Ranieri. And after 70 minutes, after 72 minutes, it didn't look like they were going to get anything because Frosinone raced into an early lead. They were, well, early. They were 3-0 up after 50 minutes, which doesn't often happen with Frosinone and doesn't often happen anywhere that you're 3-0 up relatively early in a game. Um, But then in the 72nd minute, Cagliari scored and then they scored again in the 76th. And when you score that quickly together... I think everybody realised that something big is about to happen, but it didn't until the 94th minute when Leonardo Pavoletti equalised, and then they went and got a winner in the 96th. Vito, this is one of the maddest turnarounds I can remember seeing in football. Oh, it certainly was. Uh, when you consider that Frosinone were still, they were 3-0 up after 70 minutes, and then even in stoppage time... <laughs> They were still they were still three two up frozen on it, so you know to squander the lead like that would be very disappointing from the Canarini perspective. But uh, you know, meanwhile, you look at Cagliari, uh, they looked dead and buried at three nil. That being said, they probably had a few chances to score early on because in one instance they were denied by the crossbar from a penalty, and then in another situation. They hit the post with the header. So there were times where they did create their chances, but to get four goals in the space of, you know, less than 20 minutes and then injury time on top of that, oh, that's just mind-boggling. Mm, it absolutely is. Burnsy, it, it goes in the face of everybody that says the, the, the lunch match should be a done way because this was the lunch match and it was game of the season. I think it was also deeply fitting that the two very late goals came from the sort of striker that's been kicking about for ages and a lot of people probably couldn't tell you which club he's at until he just suddenly pops up again. I've kind of forgot that Pavoletti exists and then it, like naturally it's him that scores twice in stoppage time. Um, you say that. He has been at Calgary for a while now, hasn't he? Or have I just placed him there since he was there like three years ago? So they'd be one of the guesses, but I feel like there'd be a few fair places that you could say. <laughs> it wouldn't be a mad guess. Um, obviously, it, got, it gets kind of lost in it, but um, Matthias Soule scored twice, the Juve Loney, and he, he's looking very good at, at Frosinone as well. Um, but he's probably not, not going to quite get the attention that his goals should have got because of what When happened. Cagliari got their penalty that they missed, I just assumed that Jao Pedro was going to step up and take it. And now, now, now I really want to wiki, like, <laughs> Google where he is because I know he's gone. I know, I know he went when they went down. But um, Good luck. There's about 45 yeah, of them. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, just, it was just really weird. It felt, felt really surreal that it wasn't him taking the pens. But, uh, see, he felt like he always scored all of their goals all of the time when they were last in Syria. João Pedro of Calgary fame is now playing back in Brazil with Grêmio. Um, so there you go. There, there's the other João Pedro who now plays for Brighton, I think, isn't there? He was at Watford. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, younger so one. We'll rock up at Udinese or something. Then. Oh, actually, no, no, because Watford <laughs> yeah. have offloaded him. No, that's, that's, okay, so he's, yeah. he's, he's mm -hmm. not at risk of suffering the fate of 
heading to Udine. No, we'll end up at Spurs just because it seems like that's a logical move for someone yeah, like the that. The anyway. Eve Highway. Is it? I was name. thinking, didn't Spurs sign a load of players from Southampton? <laughs> Southampton. Why can't I say that club's name? Uh, the Liverpool South Coast teams. Liverpool were... and Tottenham oh, both okay. pillared for uh, Southampton's uh, youth academies. I think with Gareth Bale okay. and the like. And, uh... <laughs> oh yeah, Bale. There, that says a, a name from the past that you don't often yes. think of it anymore. It, it's mad that he should still be playing really high level football, isn't it? But anyway, let's let's get back to this because I, I think we should talk about. Frozen only a little bit, and particularly Matthias Sule, because Burnsy, you mentioned him. He's been really good since going there. When he he was playing in preseason for Juventus, he looked like he'd have a part to play under Allegri. But I suppose it makes sense for him to be loaned out somewhere that he's going to play basically every week as their main guy. And he looks a real talent. Yeah, he does. He he was one of them. I wouldn't say he necessarily caught my eye with Juve last season, but you know his name appeared mm. every now and then. Sort of, it's like it felt like Moretti and Fagioli were their two main younger players, and then thought of the next step down was Sule and the fellow whose name I've forgotten that begins with B, Enzo something. Baron K, um, I think, isn't it? Yes. Um, who he's gone somewhere? Did he not go to Frosinone as well? I think he's at yeah, Frosinone. Yeah, Arena Chelsea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he seems, you know, he's got five goals and an assist in eight games, which is not bad going. For a newly promoted team as well. Yeah, yeah, except obviously they started really well. They, they've sort of leveled out a little bit now. But I, I remember on the commentary, I think they said that had Frozen on it held on to that result, they'd be, I think, seventh now, or at least at the time that that game was happening, that would have been the case. Um, so that, they, you know, it's. It's still, it's still a very good start to the season, but that that will really wrangle in that result. That is a difficult one to overcome psychologically, isn't it? But as big a blow as it is for them to overcome, Kev, this is Calorie's first win of the season. They have looked dreadful, and we need to say for seventy of the ninety minutes here, they looked dreadful as well. But to win in that manner. Claudio Ranieri knows how to use things like that in his team's favour. Like, look at their playoff run last season. It took late goals to get them up in the first place. Do you expect them to kind of find their feet in Serie A a little bit more now? Or is it going to revert to what it had been before the 72nd minute in this one, do you reckon? I think they've got a couple of games before there's another international break where I think if they can pick up you know, even draws probably in that time, it'll give them a little bit of a boost. And then, because um, I was, I was quite surprised actually to see Salernitana drop to the, drop the bottom. I don't know why. I just kind of assumed they were somewhere around there, but not that at any risk of sort of calorie jumping over them with the win. And it, I know Empoli got a, a win against Fiorentina last week, and so they've jumped up a little bit again as well. But it's uh, interesting down there. I think Genoa and Juventus. Genoa, Juventus are Cagliari's next two games before the international break, so they need to beat Genoa, really. I know it's early, but you're looking at that Genoa game and thinking, right, we kind of need to go and win there because there's every chance we could go into the international break again with just one win to our name. Yeah, so, well, is that the next one? That's the next one before Juve? Because you kind of, yeah, because then you can kind of just accept that you're going to lose against Juve, even if it's in like the (laughs) 125th minute. Um, So, yeah, that's um, the Rossa Blue derby then. That's one way of framing it. Mm-hmm. A weird way of framing it. But uh, 
if you will. Okay, yeah. <laughs> fine. Um, speaking of Juventus, it kind of naturally takes us there, doesn't it? They they beat Verona one 0 through a ninety fifth minute Andrea Cambiaso goal. But Vito, sometimes scorelines don't tell the whole story, and this was actually quite a comfortable performance from Juventus, where two goals disappeared that they were less than pleased with. Yeah, well, it, it definitely was one of those games where I didn't think Verona really showed much of a chance of, you know, trying to get something out of it. I think it was really a case of them, you know, that Juve were just fortunate not to uh, bury their chances because Juventus had something like 30 shots but only six on target. And they had, um, you know, for those who are into the goals expected stuff, their XG was 3.34. So, Juve were creating enough chances to win comfortably. And the way Juve played, it did feel like a 3-0 result. It didn't feel like a 1-0 win. And look, personally, I thought, you know, on both calls, I thought Keane was a bit unfortunate to have mm. his goals chalked off, to be fair. So, yeah, um, yeah, he was a bit unlucky because throughout the game in general, I thought his play was very good. He was dangerous, comfortable on the ball. Uh, he had a bit of swagger about him, but yeah, just... Um, yeah, luck was not on his side. But uh, talk about unlikely goal scorers. Uh, it was a good chance for Cambiaso to take. Just point blank range, just banging the rebound. You know, definitely part of Juve's motto, that whole Finoa-Lafine philosophy. I find myself sympathising with Moise Ken a lot after this weekend because he scored two goals that were so close to being valid. Like the offside one's offside. It is what it is. But that offside just felt a bit wrong. You know when a player is offside, but it's literally a stud, you think, ah, yeah, but it it is offside. This one, to me, made me a bit sympathetic towards Ken because he's actually at a disadvantage if we're using this because he's him and the defender are running towards the halfway line. So he's closer to the goal than he is to the ball. But he needs to go back to the halfway line to then carry it forward. I, I felt so sympathetic for him. Kevin. Before this technology uh, level, you know, as in in the eye rather than technology was was onside. And we've got it. This is a bit where it just the technology is great. Yeah, there's no such thing as level, is well, there? Like it's never level. No, but if 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 a player if player and defender, you know, before we had the use of technology to give us the minute detail of who's slightly ahead of the other then the linesman would give it and it feels like where technology is taken away something that was just a given if two players are running back together and you know you didn't have the technology to tell whether there was a sort of an inch or a foot between the two it was just a given as a goal or you know it was it was not given as offside. Yeah, i think i'd prefer yeah, space between the individuals mean, i'd always prefer space because yeah. uh, it's like saying when the ball touches the line the goal line then that should be a goal we, then we have this on no. off, and then we, you know, we have you have the same thing with the the ball going out of play and, now, and stuff. Like, it's... I used to be a big, not so much an advocate, but I used to be quite interested in the idea of daylight. But then you're still having the same debate. It's just that the line moves. So if someone's if two studs overlap, but there's daylight between their arses, it's still it's gonna be <laughs> like onside because the the studs are overlapping and and. A player could have like a, a one meter head start effectively. I, I, I'm generally for technology, and I'm absolutely for it when it comes to offside because that is just black and white in the same way that 
is it a goal or is it not a goal is but this one just because of the the way he was moving away from the goal i, I had that extra bit of sympathy for him mm. more so with the other goal because i just don't think it's a foul I, I don't see how that's given but anyway we don't talk about it too much i i think cambiazo getting the goal is is huge for him ken was obviously annoyed when he went off because in his head, he scored two goals. Like, do you know what I mean? He has the confidence of a player that scored two goals and the frustration of a man who's had them taken away from him. So he has everything to prove. I, I felt bad for him coming off again. But I'm waiting for that to be on Wikipedia pages. You know, disallowed goals. Somewhere in a somewhere in career statistics on players' faces. <laughs> because somebody's got that data somewhere. Because uh, all these, all these mm. places do these um, league tables without, you know, without VAR removal from things yeah don't even get me started on that because they're so flawed i hate i hate most football discourse and i'm aware what we're doing here but it tires me so it should it's 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 (laughs) It's bad most of it's just most of it is shite like just just (laughs) absolute and i don't mean talk nonsense if you want but just some of it's just so silly like league tables without go away Go away, Burnsy. Go away, will you? Please. I shan't. Can't you're, make me. You're gonna have to talk about Inter Roma because Marcus mm. Duram scored a, a late away. winner. Um, it was the 81st minute. I think we can count that as a late winner. Roma had three shots in the whole game, and they were they tried to stink the place out, which we kind of knew they were gonna do. But this was, and I'm speaking from the most neutral of perspectives one of the dullest games I've watched this season. Yeah, I mean, it was a late winner in definition, but in terms of levels of drama, like it was yeah. it was going to happen. There was absolutely no drama to it. Can I tell you my reaction to the goal? goal? My reaction was, oh, thank God, just because something has now happened. <laughs> I haven't wasted yeah, my I, whole... I was actually it. partly pleased it went in just because I had to, I was writing about it and I had, nothing on the page <laughs> there's just there's nothing to say about this in any way now, i don't want it to win but you know at least it makes that side of things easier um and you know i, I, th- I think i might have had this moan on a podcast recently about like if you if you set up in a certain way in certain games you can't then sort of claim you've been unlucky when you don't quite manage to get over the line and get a point from something and I think that that applies to Roma here because there was there was absolutely no ambition there it was very it was very much an underdog's performance um you know whether whether you think that's the right way to go about it or not is sort of irrelevant what I mean is that there can't really be any upset or licking of wounds when Turam goes and scores that goal because Inter were the only team that were ever going to win that game of football if one of them was going to um, and they should have scored much sooner. They, I think they hit the woodwork twice in the game. It's, it's not that they were absolutely bombarding Roma, but it was just that like, they were going to score at some point, and it was slightly surprising that it took as long as it did, but it wasn't at all a shock when it actually happened. And it was, it was dull. It was very, very dull. I was surprised to see how anonymous Romelu Lukaku was, and I get... Roma's tactics didn't exactly feed into a striker having a great game but given all the talk that surrounded him coming into this game the whole whistles thing like I did I did feel 
I'm still worried for Alessandro Baez's ears because we had him at the Miazza for this one. And good God, the noise of the 30,000 whistles. I think there were more than 30,000 as well. I think everybody that went into that stadium got a whistle today, except for the Roma end. But like every time Lukaku got a touch of the ball, he was whistled, not just with mouths, but with actual whistles that they were supposed to not be allowed to take in. And he took kickoff as well at the start of the game, so before the game started. It's just this <laughs> and after long, the goal. continuous whistle. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was something I wrote about was that... Um, Jeez, that she, says what's like, happening, doesn't it, when you're writing about the whistle? <laughs> no, to be fair, it was more to do with his performance. Um, because the obviously, you know, the whole narrative last year with Roma, which, which was very fair, was that without Dybala, there's really very little there. Um well, they, the, the midfield three that started this game was um, Bobe, Cristante and Paredes, which is is very... That, that That's three quite similar midfielders. Like, none of them are particularly creative players. Mm-hmm. Bobe's probably the most creative, and, and that's still not really his whole thing. And the difference is not as simple as, oh, Dybala's gone, there's no one creative. I was on the bench, who is a much more creative player, Renato Sanchez is out, injured, and it just felt like the gap between that midfield and Lukaku and El Shirawe was just massive, and neither Lukaku or El Shirawe are going to do the whole thing by themselves. Mm. You know, they need help, and that there was just nothing was ever going to happen. So Lukaku did have a very poor game, but I don't really blame him because he he basically just had to run around with three big inter defenders around him, not having the ball anywhere near him at any point. But he is was, Big Rom. He Did was. You know, big, big Rom needs friends. Sorry. There was a... There was... <laughs> there was a flag, which I just saw. It wasn't on telly or anything. I just saw it in the background of someone's photo who posted it from the Miata. And it said something like, Big Rom, no. Big, like, shit or something. Just It was a way of insulting him and calling him <laughs> not very good. And it was just... It was so stupid as a flag that it made me laugh way more than it should have. I need to find who actually posted that and send it to you guys because I was supposed to screenshot it, but I think I forgot to. But Kev, no, Vito, sorry, Kev, you can have a little rest. Um, Vito, Turam getting a big goal, another big goal, I should say, is is going to be hugely important. He got the winner against Benfica when it looked like Inter mightn't find a way through. He was influential in the derby as well. He has beyond settled at Inter now. And it kind of was funny that the Inter fans were focused so much on Lukaku, to be honest, because they've got this new guy who's probably a better fit for the team, remarkably. I agree with that assessment because Lukaku, you know, he's he's 30 now, but he's, let's just say that he doesn't seem to have ever been a really rapid runner. He's always had the frame, and when he's at his best, he's got a good shot on him. But uh, you look at Taram, he's just so mobile, so slick, and the spot is height. He's about 192 centimetres tall. He's a very fast player, so he's shown me that he's fitting into Italian football very quickly. I personally had some doubts about his adaptability, but he's been just as decisive as Lautaro, although not being as prolific, but he's got the finishing touch. He's come up 
good in games like this. Like you mentioned against Benfica, he scored the only goal there. He scored the only goal here. And I think, yeah, Inter can be very happy with the way Turam is tracking at this moment. There were some very overzealous um, celebrations at the end. Obviously, he booted the ball like high up into the stands and he up, up, upset Cristante, wasn't it? Celebration, please. Yeah, no, but it was just weird. I don't know, because Stace was sat here watching it with us. And she was like, they look really uncomfortable. He went over to La- La- Lautaro Martinez and like hugged him. And then they tr- they did this really awkward like jump while they were still embracing. And then they eventually broke away and just did a little bit of a jig in front of the in front of the fans sort of side by side. But it looked really awkward. You know, like when someone greets you, that you know, you're not a hugger, but they are. And, and it, it was, I don't know, it just, I just found it amusing more than I didn't like what they were doing. It just felt a bit, it was oh, like they knew how shit the game was. That they, they, that's what they wanted I to pick it up. What you are doing. What? Kevin Pugchalski. I know what you're doing here. And you're not going to fool me. You wrote him off three weeks um, into the season. You came on here saying, oh, he's not a good fit. He's not going to settle. Actually, playing through Look the middle, and he seems to play more now. off the, the left, which is doing uh, wonders for him. You are a liar. You know what you've said. And the listeners, I encourage you to go back to the podcast earlier this season, where Kev said that Marcus Taram was a fan. I encourage him to um, as well. But I haven't got the time or energy <laughs> to do it myself. <laughs> You didn't quite say that, but I'm gonna keep saying that you yeah, did. I would not if you were saying that about me. I would not allow you to get away with the word flop there. Is <laughs> a is a direct quote. I, I'm fairly certain Kev wouldn't have said flop. I took a really long run off of that because I was weighing off whether or not I could get away with it, and I decided I could because it was Kev, and he wouldn't dispute it. But Kev, you hate Marcus Turam. That is your new one, okay? You used to hate Fabio Pellegrini, <laughs> now you hate Marcus Turam. <laughs> Fair? Yeah, fine. I'll uh, I'll have Turam. He's not fighting. Yeah, he signs up for it. Yeah. See, this is why I like Kev. I'll... I'll say that he has an agenda and he'll just go yeah. along. I'll with get him it on my we'll dartboard. We'll get a season's worth of content. Also, then got to buy a dartboard. <laughs> but, um... You'll probably have a dart room in that big new apartment that you've got. But let's not get into that. Um, what else happened? What else has happened this weekend? I'm scrambling. I'm scrambling. Um. Friday night. There weren't too many goals before Sunday. There were a lot of ones and a few zeros, but I'll go to Vito Doria because Genoa won. Vito said only Tano look like they're in a bit of bother this season. Genoa got a big, important win, and it's that man, I've forgotten his first name, Goodmanson, scoring again. He looks like a real gem for them this season. I think he'll be a very important player for the Grifone as the season progresses. And you know, especially when it, for Rotegi's not playing or he's not playing well, I think it's important for Giladino that he has Goodmanson to count on. And you'd feel that if the current general ownership is a little bit like the old one in that if someone comes good, they're going to sell them off. You'd think that eventually Goodmanson might be one of those players because he does look like he's quite a talent. He's going to get sold to Milan and not do very well and end up at Salernitana. That'd be right. Albert is his first name, by the way, which just doesn't seem right to me. And I, he's I can't twenty six. Is he? Oh, he's older yeah, than I thought. He's about three or four years older than I thought. Mm. I'd have said um, four or five. I'm less yeah. interested. He's got a very youthful face, <laughs> which I think made me think he was Where... a lot younger. Mm. Yeah, 
Burnsy, I assume you've got his Wikipedia page up there. I'm actually on transfer marked. Right, well, it'll do the same detail. job. Um, <laughs> tell me, and I'm being serious here, his date of birth, place of birth, and career path. All right, okay. Uh, June 15, 1997. He was born in Reykjavik. Of course he was. And that was a stupid he... question. I've apologised for that one. <laughs> he was at an Icelandic club, then he went to Herenveen. Sorry, um, no, no. Where was he before Herenveen? Well, KR under 19s. That's literally all it says. <laughs> um, and then PSV. He, he likes just letters, this guy, because then he went to <laughs> AZ Alkmaar. Um, <laughs> and now he's at Genoa. Where and he cost them 1.5 million euro. You know where he's going next, mean? then, don't you? PSG. Um, he's, it's an upward trajectory. <laughs> what, of, of just he likes, clubs with letters? He likes letters. AC Milan. Um... If things go wrong, you could go to that HJK in Helsinki. I was thinking it's going to be AC Milan and then PSG. Or AS Roma. Oh, well. <laughs> no, we, we, we they're say... not really that, are they? They're just Roma. Mm. <laughs> we, we, we say he's older than we thought, but if they paid $1.5 for him in January last year, like if he even half maintains the form he's doing, they'd probably make quite a handsome return there. Um, mm. Although, when does his contract run out? 2026. So say they, they sold him next summer. Sell him for 30 summer, million next summer, yeah. Yeah. So Man United. <laughs> Inexplicably. Yeah. <laughs> and then he'll do nothing. Yeah. Sounds about well, right. Um, let my demons creep in there. Sorry. Yeah. You've had a tough all day. You sent me a message <laughs> at halftime, before halftime in the Inter Roma game that I had to check was just about football. And then I called you dramatic. <laughs> I was being dramatic, but also with the way the United game was, I don't, I don't think I was being dramatic. Actually. At that point, <laughs> you had not watched one full match of football. <laughs> you were saying things like that. Yeah, because I left United early in, in order to watch Roma because the writing was already on the wall, <laughs> and things really did not improve. Oh, and you didn't watch any of the good games this weekend, which is very, very funny. But. I think we'll talk a little bit about Sassuolo Bologna. It's kind of a derby, but it's not really one at all. It's just that they're both from the same region, Vito. But Joshua Zirkze is having quite—he's having a better season this year than he's ever had in Italian football, um, which I suppose is reasonable. He's growing, he's still maturing, and he got another goal early on. Sassuolo came back; it finished one-one, and I think they're quite evenly balanced teams. Yeah, they both are, and uh, about um, Zerxe, I think that you know it's clear that he's not the finished product as yet. But when you consider that you know they got rid of Arnautovic, or once Thiago Motta got to Bologna, he decided to phase him out. I think it shows that with Zerxe, he's got some upside about him, and that he can develop him into a better player or more complete player. So. Uh, when you have the coach having faith in you, I think it's a good thing for the young striker, and he's slowly getting the goal. So maybe even if he's not prolific enough now, maybe as the season progresses, who knows? Zerxay could really hit a purple patch, and if he does, I think that's going to be beneficial if the Felsene want to push for a Conference League spot or even a Europa League spot. Well, he actually his goal was. Seriously good. It was good. Like, I don't. Know if we, I don't. Know if we've all seen it, but it's really good. Like he's one of them players. There is. There's clearly something 
special there. It's just like I say, whether it can be spread over a season. Mm. Just if we're comparing him to Marko Arnautovic, Vito, he bothers to run. He doesn't think he's the coach and he doesn't try to demand to pick the team. <laughs> it's quite an upgrade, that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I can see why Motta was quite happy to, to sell big Marco, despite Kev's love for him. Um, Do you want his date of birth, place of birth? and uh, Zick say, yeah, it could be an interesting one. Let's go. <laughs> Let me go. May 22nd, 2001. Um, place of birth, Shidam in the Netherlands. Um, oh, that's a bigger list than I thought. Okay, right. Let's try yeah, and see what, how we can streamline that, this. With, wait, a lot of it's age groups. You know, Byron and Parma. Yeah, we'll, we'll skip the younger. He was in Feyenoord's Youth Academy, then went to Bayern. Various youth stuff. Then the first team. Then Parma. Then Anderlecht. And now Bologna. Anderlecht. So he actually went to Bologna directly from Bayern. He's been sold to Bologna now, hasn't he? Yeah, 8.5 million. So not insignificant. Oh, that is quite hefty for for mm. Bolo. But I, I hope he does well because when yeah. he signed at Parma there was a lot of expectation, but it was I think this was Krause's first year in the job and everything at Parma was a bit mad in terms of on the pitch. Like nobody really knew what was happening and there were a lot of young players there and it just didn't work. And I think in that kind of environment it's easy for a young player to just kinda of get lost and that very much happened with Zexe, but He's looked better since going to Bologna. I, I do like seeing him do well. He comes across on the pitch as quite a likable character as well. So let's hope that continues. And he, well, he fires Bolo to Europe because that is very much what I want to see. I'm, I'm going to be campaigning for Bologna to qualify for Europe every year, even if they're fighting relegation. I'll be pushing for them to get into Europe. What else do we want to talk about? Torino went away to Lecce, which is, I'm sure, the longest trip in Serie A, isn't it, from Lecce to Torino? Because it's from the northwest to the southeast. Eh? Udinese, I suppose they just go down the coast, don't yeah, they? Yeah, see, I mm. think they're yeah, I think they're just about saved. Um, but it's a, a horrific trip, so Torino will be very happy <laughs> that... What are you laughing at? Well, I know Ewan's probably now looking it up. Horrific. It is a horrific <laughs> trip. It must be about a thousand kilometres. I I I I'm not necessarily disagreeing. It just wasn't the word I expected. Well, tell me how many well, it's miles. It's a horrific is. trip. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, sure I don't know how many miles <laughs> is. Obviously, we don't want to do miles, do we? How many pounds of petrol it will cost you? <sighs> Burnsy, Torino won one nil, which is a big result for them. It, it was, and they'll be pleased with that for their eleven-hour and twenty-one-minute <laughs> drive back. Yes, because they drove. Didn't <laughs> that, they? Yes. Oh man, that oh. one thousand one hundred forty-eight kilometers. I drove to Hoffenheim once, which that must be. No, I can't do that. I'm not going to bother doing that. No <laughs> to try and think what that is in miles, but I, I don't know enough of the difference between miles and kilometers to work that out. Kilometers are more, aren't they? There's more more kilometers yeah, in yeah, a mile. Yeah, yeah. five <laughs> kilometers is like three point. One miles or three point three miles, something like that. So yeah, nine hundred odd miles, I reckon. Kilometers are more, to drive, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> yeah, that's how you have to think about it. Same with money. Which one is more, and then work it out. <laughs> like dollars are more. The US ones, anyway. Can you stop now? <laughs> Do you want to know the route? We're so close <laughs> to being finished here. We're actually, I think we might. Do we have to talk Up about Monza one? Who the knows? They won. Oh, just Colpani. Yeah, Andrea Colpani. Look, he's an Atalanta graduate, Vito. You can talk about him if you want. Yep. So, yeah, fifth goal for the season. 
you know, uh, goal every second game. So that's very impressive. And yeah, just now he's really coming into the conversation for the national team. Apparently, Luciano Spalletti is really looking at him. And I think his attributes would add something extra, whether it be on the right side of midfield or on the right wing of the forward trio. I think his ability to just get at the back post or make runs at the late bo- in the late runs into the box, I think he adds something different. Yeah, he does look like he's a good player. I I do have to check, do I don't have to have a little buyback clause there because it would be very them to have put that in, get him back on the cheap, not play him and sell him within the same week for about 40 million to, to Juventus <laughs> or somebody like that. But we'll have to wait and see. Um, I don't believe there is one, but we will check. I think that'll do. We will be back, of course, during the week. It is Women's Football Podcast because there's Women's Nations League games and Italy actually look... Well, they lost to Spain, but they look a lot better than I think we would have expected them to under a coach that nobody really knew what he was about when he got the job. Um, and we'll have the bonus podcast, which is a bit more. Uh, I've got a severe rain warning in Parma. There you go. Um, we've got the bonus podcast as well, which is going to be men's football focused. Every single week, those two podcasts are made available on patreon.com slash total Italian football. You can sign up for as little as two euro a month. You can also sign up for five or ten if you're feeling a little bit more generous. But there's two bonus podcasts every single week for very, very little financial outlay. Um, that'll do. Goodbye from me, Ewan. Bye. Vito. Bye bye. Kevin. Goodbye. Tutti in coro, rullo di tanto.